Today's show is brought to you by Team Snap. Sign up for a free 21-day free trial at www.tryteamsnap.com slash holybackboard. Let's go! Alright everybody, welcome to the 79th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Toasty Rip City and I got my man Sage in even dosier Southern Oregon. I don't, I don't I don't fuck with this heat, man. I enjoy wearing basketball shorts out in public, but not by necessity. It's out of laziness. This panda bear can't handle it either. I'm like a 75 in that. That's good. Like, I overheat. I walk to work every day too, so I'm having to like wear one of those dry fit shirts to work so I can kind of like get my sweat out in it. I know it sounds disgusting, but that's what happens to me when I walk for like 15 minutes with a backpack up against my arms. And then, you know, I kind of like get ready at work and I, I, I'm not going to lie. I miss the, the colder days when I'm able just to get ready at home and go to work. I don't like having to do these, all these extra steps. Man. And you have to look nice at your job, which, luckily for me, I, I I look trashy almost all the time now. So, and if you you move back to Portland, we gotta get we gotta fix that. So, how have you been? I mean, we're gonna mix this in. This isn't a traditional episode. It, obviously, it's the off season. We're gonna do you know a few throwback Thursday episodes um, here and there throughout the off season. Come at you with a few draft podcasts. Uh, leading up to the draft in late June. But we're going to kind of uh, have a different format. It's not going to be your traditional recap of what happened in the week, look ahead in the week that you know that is going to be. Um, so there's going to be a mixture of fan questions to go with topics, and then we'll get into our, our throwback Thursday, which is Game 4 of the 1977 Western Conference Finals between the Trailblazers and the the hated Lakers. So that's on tap, but Sage, let's get right into a fan question from our, I think our one of our OG listeners, long story longer. She wants to know, on a scale of one to snore, how boring have these playoffs been this year? Um, outside of a couple expe- uh, exceptions, I've been I've been on that Netflix so hard during games. I'll watch maybe the first quarter, know that it's a blowout. Keep my eye on my phone, but if it's if it's Netflix, if it's MLB baseball, I'm watching that over most of these whack games that are happening in the playoffs. Like last week, it was the Eastern and Western Conference Finals, and I could give less than a fuck about those games. I mean, I think that's the sentiment across basketball Twitter right now, and it's really saddening because last year's Conference Finals, at least. In both conferences, actually, I think the Raptors pushed them to six. Yeah, they were they, they were watchable. Now it's like they weren't watchable. They were great. It took a magical performance from Clay Thompson on the road to force a game seven, which Golden State ended up winning. And the finals were even better. Were we spoiled last year? Possibly. However, Kevin Durant just ruined all of that because we could have had an epic Western Conference playoffs. Um, injuries have also just been real shitty this year. You look at, you know, right at home, Yusuf Nurkic. I think he makes that a completely different series. Actually, Portland. 
I know this is the biggest stretch of all stretches when you're looking for silver linings, but Golden State's only had two single-digit victories in the playoffs. One was Game 3 when we had Nurkic on a gimpy leg at, at best 50%. If he's healthy, that series is going six or seven games like like I predicted uh, in our preview podcast. Obviously, he wasn't healthy. You've got George Hill who wasn't healthy. Uh, Rudy Gobert missed time. Blake Griffin is out for the playoffs. Rondo, they go up 2-0. On the Celtics, he gets hurt. That series is lights out, game over. Now Isaiah Thomas has hurt his hip, and he's out. It's just real difficult to watch shitty basketball. And then you've got injuries on top of that. Yeah, stage. Kawhi Leonard, too. How could I forget Kawhi Leonard? I, was, I wasn't I was looking forward to that series, but you know, Olga and I were down um, in the Valley for, for Mother's Day, and you know we had the game on. We were... Um, checking it out, hoping the Warriors, you know, would, would choke away a game, and the Spurs came out like gangbusters. And you know, we had to leave at halftime. My mom was giving me updates, and San Antonio was in complete command of that game. And all of a sudden, you hear that Zaza stuck his leg out, and now Kawhi is down. At that point, I'm just like, why are you doing that? You don't need to do that, Golden State. If if you can't beat the Spurs without Duncan and Tony Parker. You know, come on. I, I do think Golden State still eventually wins that series, but that ruined what could have been at least a decent conference finals. Just how terrible the conference finals have been. They, all the playoffs, I have not really looked forward to watching a game. I have not sat down to watch a game since the Blazers uh, were eliminated. Uh, my coworker Ian and I were in Nashville on assignment. And of course, you know, you're out listening to live music and, you know, you'll go to watch some of the games. Um, so we watched games there, but even they were blowouts. We started paying attention to either the, the Predators, who made it to the Stanley Cup playoffs, or Stanley Cup finals, excuse me, or we would just, you know, zone out to the live music. I mean, as a hoops junkie, this, it's just not good. Um, and I understand that the way the game is set up, that one player can dominate and take over an entire conference, like LeBron. I mean, nobody has gotten through there. He's... A, essentially the equivalent to Jordan in the sense that the path to the finals goes through him and he's not letting up. He will not let up and it's going to be that way for the foreseeable future. Um, the West on the other hand looked like it could have got interesting if Durant would have stayed in OKC or if he had went to Boston. I think we could be seeing Boston with Durant versus the Cleveland Cavaliers with you know LeBron, Kyrie, and Love. That would have been a fun-ass series, but now we've gotten this monstrosity like the Warriors are 27 and one in the last 28 games uh they swept their way to the finals at, at what point does it become boring for the players does it become boring for the fans like if you're a Warrior fan are you even excited are you looking forward to this like are you congratulating yourself like yeah we're going to the finals it's you know third time in a row but you're doing it by adding Durant as a 73-win team. I liken it to when you start a 2K franchise. You could take any team and probably win the finals. And you can do some cap maneuvering so you can get a free agent. Not only are your current guys starting to max out, but you feel like, oh, you know, I gotta, gotta, I gotta spend my cap money. It's part of the game. It's fun. And then you add another superstar and it just becomes dominant. And that's exactly what they've done. Yeah. I, I mean, you brought that up. I, I vividly remember doing that as a 2K junkie. So, I mean, I, I think that NBA has a little bit of a problem because, like, no one gives a shit. Of course, people are going to watch, but the, the, the investment of even, like, dedicated people are, it, it isn't really there. It's just, well, eh, 
we'll wait till the finals till you know good basketball starts. And even then, I'm not I'm not getting my hopes up for that either. No, not, I mean, when, when there was a uh, when the finals were hap or the what the Eastern Conference Finals were happening, I was watching the Throwback Thursday game one last time just to make sure I got everything. So when a game like is more intriguing, that's like a game that was decades years old. old. Yeah, decades years old. Yeah, it, it, it's the NBA has a little bit of an issue. It has a humongous issue. Excuse me with with the interest. I mean. There is no parody right now. Yeah. I mean, like, when you read the breaks of the game, they talk about how the regular season was whack, but everyone went to see the playoffs. Now, like, the the, the regular season is where people, like, have more fun and talk about shit. Now the playoffs is like, yeah, well, it's on Netflix. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to beat this game. I don't need to watch this. Or, well, let's read a book. It's, it's not the must-see thing that, like, the NBA was for most of our lives, so... There's a humongous problem there. Yeah, I mean, we could honestly talk about this for hours on end, but I think let's stop there. Hopefully we do get a good finals, and it, it can mimic the the classic that was um, last season. Uh, I don't think it would completely make up for the snooze fest that was this playoffs, but it sure as hell would help a lot. Uh, Sage, there was the draft lottery last Tuesday, seven days ago to be exact. Of course, the Lakers kept their pick. For the third year in a row, Philadelphia was waiting for that pick to be conveyed, only to see it not happen. Not only does Philly not get that pick this year, but the Lakers get to keep their 2019 pick, which would have went to Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, as a, as a avid Laker hater, it, it, I'm a little torn. On one hand, I didn't want to see them get their picks because I don't ever want to see them good. But on the other hand, I like it when they're competitive. Never competitive to actually win a championship because that kind of tears me up inside. But I like beating the Lakers when they're good. And so maybe they'll actually do something with these lottery picks because their team right now is trash. And I don't think they've really built a really strong foundation with their three previous lottery picks. Yeah, I mean... The thing that pissed me off was that LeVar Ball gets what he wants, and I don't want that. I mean, the the, the dream scenario is that Philly gets the pick because we don't want a team in our division to get extraordinarily stronger because I think Lonzo's a very good pick. Like, I think he's a very good prospect. I've been thinking, am I finally old enough to say this kid is a good prospect now, or do yes, I have to wait? Yes, okay. No. You're okay. in your late twenties, B. Okay, I can I can say, yeah. I mean, Lonzo looks like a good kid, but his dad I fucking hate. So seeing him get his way sucks. I mean, so that that happened. So I, I got a lot of family that are Boston people, and after yeah, that, what, yeah. What would you do if you were the Celtics, Sage? Oh, I'm Markel Fultz, man. I'm Team Markel so hard. But during Game Three, when Marcus Smart was going bananas he was playing like I, he was playing outrageously well and i kept seeing people i knew from boston talk about how he he, he is the future point guard of this team and i'm just like y'all don't deserve markel fultz shut the fuck up with that shit you don't deserve him they have isaiah thomas what are they talking about yeah. well i mean they put in the bet their best defensive lineup humanly possible and they that 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 guy who usually shoots 29 percent shot like 70%, that's how they won. 
And I the, didn't watch the game, but I'll tell you what happened. The Cavaliers got a big lead. They knew Isaiah Thomas was out for the, the for the remainder of the playoffs, and they completely lost interest mentally. And it allowed the Celtics to to scrape away with a victory. Cleveland yeah. won tonight. They're gonna beat them again by double figures in Game Five. Yep. I think people who are all about that defensive lineup or it's the Ewing theory. Oh, we're better without. No, you're not. No, Isaiah no. Thomas is your franchise. So I, I think Markel's number one. I, I I think at best he's Derrick Rose with good knees and a jump shot. I think Lonzo. Think he's a potential MVP candidate, dude. I think he's that good. I I honestly do. I think Lonzo. Derrick Rose led Memphis to the NCAA championship game. Memphis wasn't that great. He had it not been for either a Chalmers miracle three or just one made free throw, they are national champs. <laughs> True. Markel Fultz could not get the Huskies even to the NIT. And I, I know I'm not putting it all on him because Ben Simmons didn't make the, the tournament last year either. But I think we need to start expecting a little bit more from potential number one picks. Well, in terms I, of, if he maxes out, that's him. But That's a, that's just a really high. See, to me, I, I think he's a John Wall type talent. Wow. Like, all-star, I don't, I don't see... MVP in him. What do you, what do you I, think about Lonzo? I, I... Lonzo, to me, Lonzo has a higher ceiling. I think Lonzo has a bigger bust because his shot scares me. He doesn't seem like a solid defender, and I think he's going to have a massive target on his back. However, he changed the UCLA program mm. around. Um, they were trash last year, and he came in, and he w- they were the number three. They were a three seed in the tournament. Um he has a rare ability to make others around him better. His floor vision is second to none. He is the best um, pure passing point guard I have seen come into the draft since Jason Kidd. I, I think he's and Darren Jason Williams Kidd, with better vision. That's my Jason Kidd could not shoot coming out of college either. I think a lot of people forget that. But they see Jay it. Kidd was also a fantastic defender. He was. He was. But so that's why the cop. Uh, that's why I don't like the cop. No, I, think, I don't think he's Jason Kidd. I think he's, I think he's a, a rich man's Sean Livingston, and that that that's Sean Livingston coming out with of all the Peoria, hype. Peoria, yeah. Illinois, yes. Yeah, I, 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 I just see. I think D Will with better vision, and you know what? That's pretty fucking awesome because Darren Williams at at one point died was the second best point guard in the league. So, if you're the Lakers, what do you do with D'Angelo Russell? I don't think you can play him off the ball. Not when you have Jordan Clarkson already on the roster. I know that they're uh, definitely shopping him around, but if they don't get the right pick, might as well try it. Just they, They're not giving him away for nothing. So if the right trade comes on, they should definitely take it. Because I, I don't... He is not a point guard at all. He's definitely a combo. But I also like Jordan Clarkson because he's basically like... He, He's what the Lakers could use at, at that two guard. Just rational confidence as athleticism. And then Lonzo could pretty much make him pretty good. Lonzo could make him really good. I think so as well. Um, I just don't know if D'Angelo can. He is a, a more of a two, but he's a two with the ball in his hands. And I, I don't. I think Lonzo, you need the ball in his hands. You don't want to run him off screens. He's not going to get it done. I know we're going to get into our draft podcast um, as we get closer to the draft. But have you been paying attention to any of the mock drafts? Are there any initial prospects at 15 that you are are really eyeing? Patent train. I'm on the Justin Patent train pretty hard. I think he could be 
a guy that is different from honestly any Blazers big that I can remember in the in any time that I've seen a a Blazers game, like a very athletic rim running center that can hedge out, play tough defense, and pass pretty well. I I, I don't remember the last time the Blazers have had that kind kind of guy. I think you just described Nurkic. Way more athletic, though. Maybe. Okay. We'll we'll I, we'll, I we'll, talk, I, we'll talk about it in uh our our uh draft podcast, bro. That, yes. That's that's my guy for fifteen. I'm liking the young center out of UCLA. I uh, I think Anibogu. Mm-hmm. Um, I want us to get a a center in this draft for Nurkic insurance. I want. I want a guy who's going to be like Bismack Biombo or Tristan Thompson. Rebound that fucking basketball and your defensive monster blocking shots. Like that's what we need. We need to really address the lack of elite defense, um, elite defensive potential on on this roster. It's it's Alperu Kaminu, and I think Nurkic is getting there, but he's more of a, of a weak side shot blocker. Yeah. But we just when we dial in defensively, we're such we're such a better team. Mm-hmm. And I think we have enough offense, especially with the big three, especially with AC coming off the bench. If um, he's healthy. Yeah, he'll, he'll be good. He'll be good. But but that's, that's I really want to address the defense. So, as I said, we're going to kind of sprinkle in some fan questions. But were you going to have a point real quick, Sage? Every time the Blazers are a, an elite team, they have a very pesky defense. We have a very good offense, but our defense is absolute trash. You brought that up, and I, I was like, you're right. You know, 77, Walton and Lucas, we're going to talk about the TBT. The guards were just at another level defensively. Yeah, they, um, they made those Lakers' lives miserable. You so. got the early 90s Blazers, Buck Williams, a perennial Defensive Player of the Year candidate, Drexler, one of the greatest wing defenders of all time, Kersey, chased down blocks. You thought Batum did it? No, Jerome was the originator. Um, TP held his own against, you know, the West was a gauntlet of point guards. Tim Hardaway, John Stockton, Kevin Johnson, Magic Johnson. I mean, then you've got Isaiah Thomas out, out East, Mark Price. You know, Porter more than held his own, especially by playing offense because he made them work both ways. Mm. Um, even Big Duck played well, and you got Cliff Robinson could defend one through five. I mean, hell, Cliff Robinson started as a rookie against David Robinson in the the conference semifinals when Duck broke his hand, and he really neutralized him during those home games. So that team definitely played uh, amazing defense. And then, of course, the 2000 Blazers, the 99 Blazers. Shaq said that core defended him better than any throughout his career. I mean, we had. I mean, just you look back, it's an embarrassment of riches on the front line defensively. Pippen, Sheed, uh, Sabonis, Brian Grant, Jermaine O'Neal, Stacey Ogman, I mean, all of those guys hang their hat on the defensive end, and that's how you get it done, Sage. So that's what and I hope And even you know. in the new generation of Blazers basketball, when we were in the Western uh, semifinals, we had Wes and Nick and Robin Lopez. They played amazing defense, so... Whenever the Blazers are going to be an elite team, it's when they have a great offense and the great defense to to go along with it. It's not just one or the other. Before we head into our throwback Thursday, uh, let's answer some fan questions. Um, our man Keith, Blazer247, sent us in a 
plethora of questions. Unfortunately, it was right after we recorded our, our previous episode earlier this month. So I told him, you know, we would make good on that and answer those. And they all stand the test of time. So Sage, it's a little bit of rapid fire right now. You ready, my guy? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. With the full season of Nurkic, do the Blazers again have expectations of potentially being a top four seed? Definitely. With Nurk having an extra year of seasoning, it only would help the core out. He he gets more chemistry with everybody. I, I think I think we'll be talking about them fighting for a four seed this year. I, I think I think it's it, the two through four seeds are open for Portland. Um, the Clippers window closing a bit. They could be a completely different team next year with CP3 and Blake able to opt out of their contracts. You look at the San Antonio Spurs. Ginobili could have just played his last game. They're not getting what they need out of Aldridge and Gasol. That San Antonio team is not used to a more finesse front line. They're used to, you know, Duncan and David Robinson and all of those big dudes who think defense first. And then Tony Parker suffered this injury that could have been caused by, you know, just a lot of mileage on him. So the Spurs could drop a bit. I think we're better than the Jazz with Nurkic. And you also finally look at the Houston Rockets. They seem like they're a good regular season team. They could pass us in the regular season standings, but when it comes down to it, um, it's not a team I'm completely frightened about just because they have no answer for the big man down low. Um, next question. Of our major re- rotation gaps, backup center, stretch four, and a consistent two-way wing player, what is the most critical to acquire this offseason if you're Neil Olshay and Terry Stotts? It's definitely the two-way wing player. I mean, the, the backup big you can address with, I mean, one of the three picks. But is it the most critical, though? Because we can get all these players in the draft. Of of those three positions, what is the most critical? Well, are we, I, I still think Mo has a chance to be that consistent two-way thir- uh, third. So, I, I mean... Are you changing your answer on me? No, I think that we need to get it, but I think we can definitely get it from the inside of our... Uh, uh, our our team, if if Mo steps up a bit. I think it's definitely got to be the backup center. We saw how this team just collapsed when Nurkic went down. I know Festus was out and Ed Davis was out. Um, the team was not the same. We need to have an insurance plan. We all know the history of Blazer big men. We definitely need a backup big who is a defensive-minded monster that's going to be able to protect that paint uh, set hard screens might doesn't have to be the offensive force that that Nurkic was but we need some a uh, form of an anchor that when Nurkic goes out the defensive intensity stays the same if not increases uh are the Blazers more likely to look at a draft pick or a free agent signing as the better gain this summer so if you look back at the summer and you look at the acquisitions what does the best player come from obviously you're probably getting a, a more talented player right away possibly through free agency but is the better player overall going to come from the draft? Or so crazy? looking back like six years down the line? I would say knee-jerk reaction and also five years down the line. I think free agent in the immediate because most rookies suck. I mean, Damian Lillard was special, but he also had like three years of seasoning. Most of the rookie, rookies coming in are 19-year-olds, so I assume that they're going to suck. But in the future, I'm hoping that the people that help our guys develop can actually get a hold of them. They'll buy into the system. So the rookie that we draft will be the best get. 
yeah, I definitely think the rookie down the line is the is the is the call to make. I actually think depending on who we sign in free agency, it's going to be the rookie, uh, because Portland has like the five million luxury tax exception. Uh, unless a guy like Zach Randolph comes to Portland, it's going to have to come from the rookie because I just don't think we're going to be able to attract anyone. But speaking of Zach, we all saw him show up in a Trailblazers hat. Of course, that's all it takes for TMZ to hop on it, tweet it out, and now rumors are swirling that Zach Randolph could join the Blazers in free agency. One, do you think it's a good fit? And two, how how do you see him fitting in? Is he a free agent? I believe so. Okay, then that that could make more sense because I didn't know what his contract situation was. I think I think we've always wanted that big and that vet that can help our young guys out and like teach them right from wrong. And Zach Randolph has had a long history, and he's been kicked to the nuts plenty, so he knows how to actually be a professional basketball player. So he's definitely the vet I would love to have for our young young roster. And how he plays, I mean, he's a professional, he, and he's he knows how to fit, fill in his role, so I wouldn't be worried about him fitting into our scheme or anything. And yeah, so I, I would welcome it in a second if he if he decided to come to Portland. Yeah, could you imagine him backing up Von Ley just coming in and getting buckets? I mean, that's exactly what we need off the bench. Um, and, bring that bring that grit and grind mentality to Portland. I mean, last year I think I said it on the uh, fanalists. The thing I see happening with these elite offensive bigs is being third bigs on you know good teams and providing that offensive punch in the second unit. I think Zebo is perfect for that role if he's willing to accept it and come back to Portland for a, you know, a relatively cheap contract hometown discount. Two questions remaining. Of Portland's realistic trade assets, which one has the most value and why? So realistic means you're not counting Nurk, Dame, or CJ. Mo Harkless? He's getting fair value for his contract. He's young. He's a two-way player. I think Mo Harkless is that guy. I gotta say it's Alfred Camino. He still has Ooh, two that, years. that was a good one. That cost controlled contract. Two years left. I think it's only totaling sixteen million. Yeah. And he's a stretch four, can play the three, defense first. He's rebounding. Shown the, rebounding. He's shown the ability to hit the three point shot in stretches. Um I wouldn't be surprised if you find a team maybe like a Minnesota. Mm-hmm. who has a lot of young talent already, who I'm not saying they're going to trade the number seven pick for him, but you're going to see a team maybe like the Sacramento Kings who they have multiple picks. Portland could maybe use Alfred Camino as a sweetener to move up. There are teams that are going to look for a little bit more veteran leadership. And by veteran leadership, he's still well under 30 years of age. So there's plenty left in the tank. But teams are tired of staying in the lottery year after year after mm-hmm. year, and they don't want to add another teenager to that core. Absolutely. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. Would if Minnesota be a team like that too? Maybe not for their lottery pick, but like. I mean, I think you could probably package like fifteen and, and Aminu. I think that's probably overpaying, but something like that to get seven. Minnesota is a team that strikes me as shit. We've been. I mean, we've had Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns, Zach Levine, Chris Dunn. Like, how many more lottery picks do we need? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what ownership and management think. Like, the Timberwolves have not made the playoffs. I think since. 2004, 2006, some, it's been over a decade. That's a lot of money the owners are losing. They get impatient. They want to win now. Mm-hmm. So you look at teams like that, maybe like 
Noah Chicago, who well, and Tibbs would love to have him on the team. Just a defensive first guy, rebounds really well. Can show Anthony, uh, can show Andrew Wiggins how to actually rebound the ball. I mean, both have that 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 athleticism. So Chief can at least show him, like, hey, this is how you get into position for the board and all that. I definitely think that Minnesota might be interested in our guy. Final question. What is the highest price you would pay to acquire Paul George from the Indiana Pacers? And we just don't know if he's going to resign? He is going to enter unrestricted free agency in 2018. There is no guarantees. So you have to factor that into your decision. Do you think Damon CJ, the fan base, the culture, the potential winning can is enough of a draw to keep him in town? Or do you think, uh, I don't know, and then that that's going to affect your decision? Hmm. It's a very tough one. I would say all three picks, Mo Harkless, Aminu, and maybe some other stuff. But I, I mean, if I, if we're trading for a wing, I, I, I would prefer Jimmy Butler to be completely honest. You don't think he's too small to play at the three and CJ at the two? I mean, he does it with D Wade. I, I, I just think Jimmy's the superior player. Uh, but if we want to, I mean, I would offer all three picks at the, the draft and then, I don't, Mo Harkless. I, I would trade a lot for, uh, uh, a, a guy of Butler or George's tier. I mean, Neil has shown that he can hit singles and doubles. He hasn't it, getting those superstars and those stars around your core is much more difficult than getting, you know, a, a single like an Alfarouk on a good cost controlled contract. That's easy. Dell Dems can do that. I would offer all three, although I would really try to hold on to at least 26. So you're adding at least one um, player from this draft class. Um, any sort of contracts to make it work? Do you want Crab? Do you want Harkless? Do you want Aminu? Do you want Davis? I, I would hold on to Vonley because I think if you're looking yeah. at a starting lineup with um, Dame, CJ, Paul, and Nurk, you're going to want Vonley as that four. He's not going to so demand the Paul ball. So is Paul George your ultimate uh, guy that you want to uh, if we were trading all of our uh, tradable assets, you would want Paul George? I think so, only because he has the ability to also play the stretch four. It, he just, mm-hmm. I think if we didn't have CJ, you could really put Butler in that too. I just, I don't love him at the three. I think he's a little undersized. Um, Paul George, I feel like is more versatile. I think, like you said, it, it's 50-50 in terms of, I think both players are fantastic. Uh, but I think um, Butler has a much better chance of staying and his contract's better. But, but you're going to have to pay more for that. Yeah. And I don't think Portland, I think Portland is in a situation where whatever they offer might not even be enough. I think they're only in this situation because they have so many draft picks. Mm-hmm. Paul George didn't make an all NBA team. So he doesn't get that max kicker extension from the Pacers. The Pacers are struggling. He's an unrestricted free agent next year. So they're almost, they almost in limbo. They have to trade him. So that gives Portland a little more leverage. Jimmy Butler, you know, We've also heard like he didn't get along with Derrick Rose. Things didn't. But that, that that you can say the same thing about Paul George. I completely agree. Yes, you can. Paul George coming to Portland. I think if he's there, Portland is the hands down favorite as the number two team in the West. Likely challenges Golden State very heavily. I mean, I think our roster stacks up just as well as theirs in terms of player personnel and fit scheme. All of so the what above. would Paul George's uh? 
role be for the Blazers? I mean, he's that wing scorer. I mean, he's just that that extra. I mean, we, when's the last time we've had a small forward that can create his own shot? Scottie Pippen. Mm-hmm. I mean, has it been the, that long? Um, someone who's versatile like him, he wouldn't have to be the man. Dame's gonna. I mean, you're essentially looking at a mini warrior team where, okay, you've got Kawhi Leonard, cool. It's just gonna be Dame. Dame's gonna go cook on Patty Mills tonight. Oh, you've got you know Rajon Rondo. Okay, we're gonna let you know CJ go to work, or let's dump it down to Big Nurk because Golden State has no no answer for him. So it's gonna be like a pick your poison. I mean, mm-hmm. I would look for him just to come in and contribute. We don't need you to shoot the ball twenty times a night. We need you to take over when the matchup calls for it. We're going to play the hot hand, and let's just move the ball, play as a team. Um, let's try not to dribble too much, not too much isolation. Let's really work that Stotts offense and get, get everybody some love. Share the sugar. Winning cures everything. And I think with Dame's leadership, that culture they built, I mean, our fan base is second to none. If Portland wins, I would say there is a very high chance that Paul George resigns with the Trailblazers. You're looking at a player in his prime. This would be his eighth year in the league at the time. It would it would be very hard for me to fathom that he would leave a potential top three seed in the Western Conference to go to a Laker team coming off of what four or five. And he'd lose like eighty million dollars. He would lose eighty million, like to go to the Lakers and not compete. Like that's the thing with these dudes. They've been in the league a while now. They know their their windows ticking. You're seeing the same thing with Carmelo. Mm. Like that they want to win. this isn't a video game. You can't hit restart. Once your prime years are gone, there's no magic potion. There's no 85 DeLorean to hop in to get it back. All right, let's take a quick break from our sponsors, and then we'll dive right into the 77 Western Conference Finals Championship against the Lakers. For you, the listeners of the Holy Backboard Podcast, Team Snap is offering a free 21-day trial. TeamSnap is every coach and parent's dream, an easy-to-use, indispensable tool for organizing and communicating every aspect of team life. Sign up for a free 21-day trial in 30 seconds or subscribe to a premium package with added features like unlimited photos and file storage and customization unique to their team. TeamSnap also provides a free Android and iPhone app so teams can be managed on the go. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. Dustin and Sage here, about ready to dive into some retro Rip City hoops. Sage, tell them what's on the docket. The 77 Western Conference Championship Game for our Portland Trailblazers versus the hated Los Angeles Lakers. I gave Dustin like a list of games he wanted to watch, or that we had the ability to watch. And he said... You can choose. And I, I maybe it's because I read the breaks of the game. Maybe it's because it's the one championship they actually have. But I have a I have a love for that team that I think you have for the 92 team because you grew with it as in your childhood. I, I don't have that. So I, you know, want to see the greatness of the 77 team. I want to see Bill Walton play. The thing with this game, though, so Portland is already up 3-0. Looking back at the the scores, the series started in Los Angeles. The Lakers were the one seed that year. Portland goes in to LA game one, handles business, 121 to 109. Outside of that 12-point victory, 
every game was down to the wire. I mean, we're talking about 11 points decided the next three games. Portland wins again, 99-97. They come home to a, a just a riveting ovation at PDX um, off of the airplane from, from Los Angeles. They handle, uh, they take care of business again in game three, 102-97. That's the big Walton over Jabbar, mm. just massive one-hand jam. And then Sage, they did end up winning 105-101. to They held off the Lakers. And what was amazing while watching this game is I felt like Bill Walton played just a horrendous offensive game. I mean, he was he was trying to go off the glass. He was trying to, you know, do baby hook shots in the middle. And, and everything was just coming up short or was coming off, you know, to the left, to the right. Uh, he only he shot 8 of 22. Um, you look at the stat line, 19 points, 14 rebounds, 6 assists, and 3 blocks. He did everything else you want, but it's surprising to me that they were able to really have the lead the entire way, aside from a stretch in the third period, with arguably the greatest player in franchise history having an abysmal shooting night from the field. Yeah, I think the shooting, you can take it or leave it, man. Sometimes the ball doesn't go in, but the way he was rebounding, the way they passed it to him in the mid post, he was able to find cutters on a consistent basis. That's that's something most players cannot do. The the way he called out defense, the way he battled with Kareem, who just is a monster. Like he pulled, he he they would he would post up, do the sky hook, and then run back on defense because it was it was going in. Well, let's talk about these outlet passes first, though. Both he and Luke were the originator, like Wes Unseld, like that crop of guys in the seventies. I mean, they would get the ball and go. They were mm. they were at their own three point line, and they still twenty two seconds left on the shot clock. I mean, that's a way to get the defense on their heels to make them exert extra energy to get back down to play transition D, and you have extra time to run your half court offense. So, I wish more players had that skill set or that more coaches encouraged mm. that. Really, only Kevin Love does it. And LeBron does it. Um, here and there, but really only Kevin Love is known for it. And even when he did that, he came into the league, what, 10 years ago, it was considered a throwback. So if you're out there listening, you got kids, you're coaching, teach them the art of the outlet pass in the mid-range game. It is not dead. It is alive and well. You just got to find it because you will be a hidden, you will be just a rare, a rare mm. breed, almost like a left hand, a lefty in basketball because not everybody would be able to, um, have your skill set. I, I think the thing that struck me in the first quarter of this game was our guards hounding the Lakers' bad ball handlers. They were doubling. They were so quick and agile, and they stripped the ball quite a bit. Their aggressiveness paid off a lot, and that like their aggressiveness helped them build that initial lead in the first quarter. The way well, yeah. that they just, Lionel Hollins and Davis just made those cards days awful. You're looking at 13 combined steals from the Trailblazers. They, as I was watching this game, I was thinking about how they kind of were a trendsetter. They kind of revolutionized the game at the time. Uh, you look at the Lakers, they would dump it into Kareem. Kareem would go to work. Portland was 
moving the basketball. They were sending multiple cutters. They were sending cutters to divert the offense and then going backside with another cutter. They were pressuring full court. Their guards were so much quicker. And that's something that it felt like teams back then weren't taking advantage of. And Portland, their guards were the reason they won this series. They completely hounded them. And we're talking about a defensive scheme, Sage, that took place when zone defense wasn't allowed. So you had to really commit to making that trap. There was no getting caught in no man's land. Otherwise, you're getting, you know, called for an illegal defense. And Johnny Davis especially feasted. Uh, He had 21 points on 9 of 12 shooting. I would say at least seven of those field goals were on the break. I mean, that dude was... He was Speedy, you know, Gonzalez, Flash Gordon, you know, the Flash, whatever you want to call him. He got the ball, and he was gone in the bat of an eye, and he just kind of glided, you know, just just swooped in for those those beautiful layups. And you look at Herm Gilliam. He came in and provided good defense. Uh, this is a team that did it without Dave Twardzik, who was the starting guard. He was injured in uh, Game 3, and that really opened the – the path for Johnny Davis. And I was actually watching a DVD last night called Fast Break. For those of you who don't know, it's a, a 1978 documentary the year after we won. the I think it was the summer after we won the championship. Uh, just an incredible look. I mean, if you want to watch Bill Walton riding a bicycle uh, along the Oregon coast, Maurice Lucas you know, swimming in a pool, uh, Dave Thorzik hosting a basketball camp. I mean, it's just really amazing footage to see and get to know these guys and one of the questions Johnny Davis got asked is you sat on the bench for 30 40 games of the year like you didn't get called what are your thoughts on that like do you hold any animosity essentially to the coach and he's like you know if that's what the coach sees fit as the best way for us to win I'm all for it if that means me coming off the bench but if you need me to play I'm there and I think they were an early adopter of chemistry as five combined is greater than one and they played as a team I mean that was probably the ultimate team that the Blazers have had and they embodied that I mean there's no rhyme or reason that the Blazers should have won this game with Twardzik out you're inserting Johnny Davis into the lineup and Bill Walton shoots less than 40 percent and they were still were able to hold off a a top-seeded Laker team with with arguably the, the greatest center and the toughest shot of all time to defend in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and the Skyhook. But that just goes to show you the mastermind uh, of Jack Ramsey. His teams were just a well-oiled machine and so, so fun to watch. So watching this team kind of inspires me because you can see what Jack Ramsey wanted even in teams today. I would say that the Blazers run a very similar offense to the Denver Nuggets of today. The ball is in Jokic's hand, and he is hitting cutters. That's what Bill Walton was doing in 77, to see those principles, those schemes, in the best offensive teams in the league's repertoire. It's pretty amazing that in 77, we saw Bill Walton do the same thing Nikolai Jokic is doing right this second. It's inspiring to see that trapping and all of these like hustle plays worked then, and it works now, just to see the the cross between these two generations. And I mean, the game has changed, but the principles and the cuts of the passing, it always stays. So seeing that inspires me. So while we give a lot of credit to those blazer guards 
for their defense. I want to give, if there's a, a, an MVP for that game as to why they won, I, you almost have to split it between the defensive pressure the guards put on the Laker guards and Maurice Lucas. Watching that game, every time the Lakers made a run, he hit that mid-range jumper. I mean, he just squared up, shoulders straight up in the air, and he just canned it. Um, knowing His confidence was off the fucking wall. He, he was, was so confident. Because he made sh- he took shots that were highly contested and made it in the in that guy's face. And I know that they were having like beef throughout the game. And he was just hitting mid range jumpers in Lakers' faces the entire game. He definitely had brass, humongous balls to take some of those shots. And you know what? He made a lot of them. I really don't. I can't think of another player that is like Mo Lucas because he contributed it in so many different ways before the three-point line was out. He was an excellent defender. The way he hedged on defense was great. He rebounded the ball like crazy, outlet passed it, could dunk, pass extremely well. I might have said that twice, and then hit the mid-range jumper. He was amazing. He was an amazing basketball player, and he worked so well with Walton because they were so special. Both of them were so special in their own ways that they worked together beautifully. Like, there was a fast break where... Walton missed. Mo behind the back passed it back to Walton. Like that chemistry does not exist in today's game anymore. Because it's it's hard enough to find one special player, but to pair him with the person that actually is perfect, it doesn't happen much. You know, growing up, born in '85, really started to get the Blazers in 1990. I never got to see Mo play really in his prime and. You know, you, you just see the highlights uh, of the fight with, with Gerald Dawkins that, that turned the tide in the, in the championship series and the nickname, the enforcer. So I, I was like, oh, so the dude's kind of like Buck Williams, uh, just a strong, badass defensive player. You know, I don't think he gets the credit of being such a great offensive player that, that he was. The, the jump shooting ability, uh, you mentioned just hitting jumpers in their face. He finished with 26. That was a team high 26 on 11 of 19 shooting. But you talked about him checking off the boxes. Amazing rebound. Check. 12 boards. Awesome passer. Check. Five dimes. Great defense. Check. Two steals. One block. I mean, he had everything that team needed. And special team. Um, It's easy to see why they eventually went on to beat the Sixers. Why they started the following year 50-10 and before injuries took apart a potential dynasty. That team was so young. I mean, you look at Herm Gilliam came in as as a rookie. Uh, Johnny Davis was still young. And obviously, plenty of years left for Lucas and Walton. And it's a bummer to know that a Blazer dynasty got derailed because of injury. But as Blazer fans, as the only show in town, still have to be extremely thankful they were able to deliver a championship because you look at franchises like the Pacers, the Jazz, uh, the Suns, they don't have that ring. They don't even have that banner up there. You know, we do. Unfortunately, we weren't able to see it live, but we can still, thankfully, through through services like YouTube, we're able to go back, we're able to relive these moments and kind of look back at what was and what can be. Yeah. I mean, that team for that time, and I know, like, jealousies and injuries really destroyed this team. But for that time, like 
everything worked together. Lucas was perfect for Walton. Walton was perfect for those cutting guards. Like he got the ball to him, but cutting is such a skill. You don't see it much today. And when you can cut at the perfect time and the and then finish, that's just per- like that team worked so well together. And then like you 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 see in in the later the next series, Bobby Gross defended the best player in that generation in Dr. J. That team worked together in so many ways, like with salary and all of this stuff just ruining. We have one shining moment, one year where everything worked out perfectly. I mean, how how nervous were you when you saw Walton fall? He fall, he hit the ground four times, and it was like, as a fan, I knew that he played the finals. I but like at that time, like you saw him on the ground holding his back, holding his knee. And I'm like, it's such a thin line between him being the best player and making this with the championship or him being on the bench again. Cause he was so delicate. Like being a fan at that time must've been so worrisome every time he hit the ground and he hit the ground a lot that game. It was that, that team put together was so perfect. And it, it was a damn shame that other issues ruined it. Well, I, I think injuries was number one. I think if you have I mean, a healthy, Bill, yeah, but, but I mean, Bill just they're, not. They're, they're they're repeating. I think hands down. I mean, he won the MVP and only played like fifty or sixty games. Would never happen today. But it just goes to show you how important he was. But to go back to your point about cutting, Bobby Gross was a legit cutter. Like he was like a cut, cutter aficionado. I mean, the way that he would divert his defender, the misdirection, just always right place, right time. Uh, he and Lionel Hollins both just did a fantastic job of getting to the rack, getting those layups. And I, I think that's what we, we miss. I, I know everyone loves the three-point line, and myself especially. That's my specialty when we when we play, you know, just pick up ball. But without the three-point line, teams actually worked in offense. You know, they actually tried to get to the basket that they – relied on the mid-range jump shot and i'm not saying the three-point line is ruining the game that that's far from it but i think teams rely on it way well, too much you look at the celtics now they don't have like i know they're smarter but they rely on that so much and like they hit them from 38 percent, and they are an elite team if they hurt from 32 they'd be a good defensive team and not really good offense i think the three-point line is a tool but the the way that the cutters the way that like team that that team was able to put all of those skill sets together. But yeah, man, that that I love that team. I wish we could see more of them. If you love that team, I highly recommend finding. It. it might be even be on YouTube. It's called Fast Break. Uh, the nineteen seventy seven, uh, might be seventy eight. Just Blazers documentary. It, it is so cool to see the behind the scenes. Apparently, they used to let a couple fans just check out practice. I mean, there was footage of Lionel and Johnny Davis just, you know, playing one-on-one with each other and um, just interviews with fans just to see the love affair already with the team. Um, After they won game two in Los Angeles, like the airport was packed. I mean, this is 77. How in the hell do you know which airport they're coming and when? I mean, in radio, like, I'm just thinking now, like, oh, just go to Twitter. Or go, you know, 
doubtful the nightly news would have it. So that's just amazing resource ability by the fans and just dedication to go down there and, and cheer them on. But I mean, that was the birth of Blazer Mania and what this this current fan base was built upon. I mean, that's why we're known as arguably the best fan base in the National Basketball Association. We love our fucking basketball here in the Pacific Northwest. We appreciate smart play. We appreciate hustle. No, we we appreciate guys who want to be here in little old Portland. Those guys had it. Well, I think on that note, Sage, we answered all the fan questions. Talked a little about the draft lottery, a little bit about the draft, the playoffs, and of course, our beloved 77 Trailblazers. I think it's time to wrap it up. But before we do so, uh, if you're liking what you're hearing, give us that five-star review on iTunes. Leave us a comment. Uh, definitely subscribe. Uh, we're Holy Backboard. We're also on Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud at Holy Backboard PDX. And as always, you can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and the gram at Holy Backboard. Uh, just, just grammed a photo the other day of a late birthday present um, I got from my mom. I was out of town during my birthday, but we went back a couple of weeks ago, found myself the proud owner of a Drexler Porter and Kersey triple threat tee, uh, all about that vintage apparel sage. I think we need to get a little bit more of that 77 apparel as well. Am I right? The 77 team? Ooh, that's tough. I mean, obviously watching Walton and Lucas as a tandem was poetry. As you mentioned, they almost felt like soulmates on the court, each complimenting each other in only the way that they could given their skill sets. But if we're looking kind of outside of the box, I love Johnny Davis. I love speedy players. I love his tenacity on defense, his just ability to to push the tempo. And he didn't play in this game, but I love watching Dave. Uh, oh, Dave Torjic was a man. He he is a joy to watch. I mean, his nickname was Pinball. You can see that if you watch some of these clips. The dude would take a hit in traffic and still finish. So I love those two guards and the two bigs. Uh, what about you, my friend? I think I, I think we got to give some props to Bobby Gross and Lionel Hollins. But I, I mean, I I love Bill Walton. That that that's my favorite player on the team. Let's go Blazers! Let's go! Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody.